Welcome to Exponential's Reproducing Churches podcast. For the next half hour, we'll be meeting with some of the most innovative leaders who've cracked church multiplication to help you become a level five multiplying leader. Here's your host, author, church multiplier, Peyton Jones. Welcome back to the Exponential Reproducing Churches podcast. I'm your host, Peyton Jones, and today we're going to go back into the 100 reproducing churches in America, and my guest today is Jeff Leak of Allison Park, Pennsylvania, from Allison Park Church. Jeff, welcome on. Hey, it's so good to be with you today. Well, hey, man. As as we look at the history of your church, um, I, I want to kind of dig down into... A uh, little bit. This, this is this is not a fresh church plant. This is a church with a bit of history and a bit of weight behind it. Tell us a little bit about the story of Allison Park Church and how that led to you being one of the uh, the, the the hundred top multiplying churches in America. Yeah. So our church will be fifty four years old this year. So it was planted in nineteen sixty six. Uh, planted by uh, Ron Bailey, who um, was actually the son of the reproducing pastor, his dad was in Pittsburgh, that's where Allison Park's located, and sent his son um, to be, be the intern pastor during the summer while the, I guess, Allison Park was still in the incubator stage and they were in launch team. That's kind of the terminology that's used now, but no one said that back then. Um, and they liked him, so they brought him back and he became the first pastor, um, grew the church through the 70s and into the 80s and uh, grew it into the hundreds. It was, I think, at its high point, about 850 people. Uh, I joined his staff as an intern in 85 and then as his assistant pastor in 88. And uh, then when he went to California in 91, I became the pastor. And I guess that's where my story starts. Um, we didn't immediately start multiplying, but yeah, I, I took over what what was really an amazing church that had a strong history from the 1960s. That's pretty cool, man. So uh, tell us kind of, you know, how did you make that shift into being a multiplying church? Because most churches, right, it, 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 the goal is to be big, you know, to, to, to be the next sexiest, hippest, biggest, baddest little thing on the planet. And that definitely is not your mindset. Tell me a little bit about your mindset and how you got there. Well, so my initial plan to uh, to pastor my church was not to plant it. Actually, it wasn't even necessarily to grow it to be the biggest ever. I was very young when I became the pastor. I was only 27 years old, and I was just trying to survive. That was my first goal. I was not dreaming big <laughs> dreams. I was just trying to make it through another week, another Sunday, you know. Amen, but, brother. Still, still true, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> still true. <laughs> uh, but God is faithful, and the church started to grow, and um, we were a bit landlocked on a little four-and-a-half-acre piece of property, and the building was really built—wasn't really built to expand much. And so 1996, I began to pray for solutions, and my mindset was to grow big. It, it really was. Honestly, I— I had seen church plants, but most of them, in my experience, were small and sad. And I was like, yeah. I don't necessarily want to be a part of that. I want to be some, part of something that's reaching people and growing and thriving. And So I was just praying, God, open the doors for property and month 
month by month went by and no property opened up and I got more and more frustrated. And as I was in prayer one afternoon, I took a couple hours aside from my normal activity and I was just, I was sort of complaining to God, like, God, what's the deal? Why aren't you opening this up for us? And it was in the middle of that complaint prayer session that when I paused, I felt the Holy Spirit sort of witness in my own spirit this this uh, statement that, that kind of popped into my mind. It was like God saying to me, okay, I hear you have a problem. And I was like, thank you. I appreciate that. I do. Come on, God, what's the deal? And then I felt the Holy Spirit just sort of whisper to me, have you considered that I have problems too? And I was like, well, what do you mean, God? What problems could you have? I mean, you have everything. You can do anything. You know everything. And then I felt him just witness in my heart, my problem is your city. You know, Pittsburgh had been through in the past couple of decades an economic depression. There was a lot of communities up and down the three rivers of the city of Pittsburgh that had had life-giving churches in them that now were filled with a lot of pain. Those communities were. And so I'm in the suburbs, and I'm pastoring a growing church, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, would you put my problem first ahead of yours, the problem of your city? And so we— it began at that point a journey toward multiplication. It wasn't my idea, but it, it clearly was in the mind of God. And he gave us a promise, Matthew six thirty three, that if you put the kingdom of God first, I'll add everything that you need, you know. And so our experience was then as we began to multiply, God just you know, resourced us. And uh so we've been doing that since ninety six. Now it's twenty twenty. So what is that twenty? Four years we've been reproducing wow. and haven't regretted it. It hasn't always been easy, but but uh, it's been an amazing journey. That's awesome, man. You know, and it's funny because it, it it goes against you know return on investment that kind of thinking that kingdom first. You know, the, those kingdom principles like you know when you throw a banquet, Jesus says you know invite those who can't repay you. So there's a sense in which you're focused on the opposite things that the church growth people tell you to focus on. You're actually focusing, as you said, on God's problems or the things that God tells you to seek first. And as you're doing those things, you started to see uh, the finances coming in to cover not only your needs, but the needs of multiplication. And also uh, your story is that a property became available to buy and then to build. So you, you, you really created this little multiplication hub um what were some of the changes that had to happen for you now to start multiplying take us back to those early days how did it come up what was your first hey we're gonna plant out when did that happen who was it tell us a story yeah so honestly i was very naive at that point i i was filled with vision and faith and not a lot of reality yet uh, there wasn't the things that are available to the church world today. Church world has become a very uh, a science in some ways, and you can get a lot of resourcing. There was really no one there to provide coaching to me as a young leader as to how to do it. So we stumbled through. Um, uh, there was a community just to our north, growing area. Uh, my youth pastor had a burden for that area. He had been with me for six years. I, I, I paused in our little kitchen area in the office, and I said, hey, you know, what would you ever think about planting a church? And he, he, he said, man, I was getting ready to talk to you. He said, I, I've been feeling this too. And so he recruited a group and we 
we blessed him to recruit people from within our congregation and took them with him to start in an elementary school. And we, we did a lot of things wrong. We probably started too soon with too few and not enough gifts, especially in the worship ministry. And we struggled through. And I remember, you know, the numbers weren't great and the income wasn't great. And we were faced with the decision whether to pull the plug or to really go for it. And so we we decided at that point to put more more resources into it, which was, again, counterintuitive. But it it, it, it grew and that, that first one succeeded and we learned lessons and did a little better the next time. And and then I just continued to progress as things move forward. That's really good. So, guys, if you're listening and you got a youth pastor you need to get rid of, this is a fantastic <laughs> exit strategy for them. So, um, yeah, <laughs> and we laugh because that's actually, actually not the way to do it. I know that a lot of people <laughs> think about multiplication that way. I mean, OK, there is a time when you got to let somebody loose. But the best one is when you have a, a real spiritual son or daughter that you can't yeah. afford to lose yes. and you send them. Because, listen, this is actually part of the story is that God isn't an either or God. He's a both and God. And what that means is some people think, well, either you're going to grow your church or you're going to plant churches, but you can't do both because you're working against yourself. But both and means you can sow. So if you if you see sending off a youth pastor or the people to go with him as loss, that will become a part of your mindset. But if you see it as investment, if you say, I'm going to invest in the kingdom, then you realize that when you make an investment in the kingdom of God, that God makes an investment back into you. And he makes things possible that wouldn't be possible otherwise. Um, so I think when you send your best, it's actually the best kind of multiplication, you know, where where you are really in 100 percent to the concept of kingdom building uh, and not just, you know, sort of the convenient mindset that can come sometimes with the thoughts of multiplication. So that's been my testimony. I think that's important, too, because. Um, if you look at the New Testament, Paul's sending his best, like he's sending Timothy, he's sending Titus, you know, uh, Barnabas on the second missionary journey, even though we would say, well, you know, they had a difference of opinion, a little bit of a falling out. Um, I, I think we might kind of read into it that they didn't get along for a while. We, we don't know. But, but what we do know is that multiplication happens when people that would naturally stick together thinking, man, we have a dream team that they would, they would really multiply out themselves that they're modeling that multiplication i think that's part of that faith testimony that you've given so far that uh not only do you give away your resources and in some cases your time pouring into these sons and daughters like you said but then beyond that um as you send out your best god's going to bring back into you um he's going to raise others up and I think that's the part that people don't really realize is some of your your real gems might be your second, third stringers that needed your first stringers to be sent out, and then they become star players. Have you seen that happen in your church planning experience or multiplication experience? Oh, absolutely. Um, and that doesn't just happen with the church planter. Sometimes it happens with the worship leaders or worship team members or people get a chance to step into themselves uh, when you reproduce, you create you create room. I mean, you, you mentioned Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Paul gets his start in a church plant in Antioch. Uh, there was really no room for an extra te teaching pastor in Jerusalem because they had all the apostles there. 
But Barnabas goes to Antioch, and because these, you know, Greek and Gentile people hadn't yet learned Scripture, he brings Paul along as his assistant pastor, and so he starts there. And and then the story of Barnabas and Paul separating, you know, Barnabas, they separate because Barnabas believed in John Mark, and he was an underdog. He was a guy that that some were giving up on, but Barnabas on his church planning adventure redeems and gives another chance to a guy that had blown it a couple of times. So absolutely, reproduction gives space for new leaders, emerging leaders, and even leaders that are kind of kind of coming out of something to have an opportunity to get started again. That's really good. Well, let me ask you, how many churches have you multiplied out so far? Because I know part of your emphasis is right now you're focused more on your grandchildren church uh, churches than you are on your you know your daughter churches. Tell me a little bit about what's what's the state of the union? What's the big picture? What what do you have on the ground right now? Yeah, so we have multiplied thirty one times over the years. Um, some of those have become campuses, um, so more one church in six locations. Most of them are self governing churches. Uh, many of them are planted in northeastern cities uh, because that was our area of focus. And then our daughter churches have also multiplied. So uh, Two Rivers Church in Binghamton, New York, has now multiplied six times. And um, City Life Church, which was plant- planted in South Philadelphia, has multiplied three times and is preparing for several more very soon. And that story could be told again and again so that I would say— conservative estimate of that which has either come as a daughter, granddaughter, or great-granddaughter church. There's a, there's over 75 now that wow. have been started over the years. Yeah, and, and actually that's where the real joy is, is when the DNA that you put into a church gets reproduced, mm. when they get it, you know, where they say, it's not going to stop with us now. We want to take what we've been given and pay it forward into another church plan or campus that will get started. I want to ask you a little bit, um, Jeff, how have you seeded that DNA? How have you cast that vision? How do you maintain that vision? How have you ensured that you've built this culture of multiplication into the church? Yeah, so real practically speaking, we talk about it when they are in the launch process. So when Brad Leach, who planted City Life Church in uh, Philadelphia, started, he actually started with seven residency students on his launch team. He recruited them from around the country. He was moving from Michigan, moved to Philadelphia. He, he brought with him seven who were interested in becoming a church planter, and he trained them while he planted. And, and then um, I knew that was Brad's intention. So we, we have typically used some type of matching fund from one of the sources that's out there that provides these no-interest funds for church planters. And in accessing those matching funds, um, a church has to, the church planter has to raise a certain amount to get a certain amount. And uh, so we have typically fronted that church, the church plant, their, uh, their amount. So if they're going to borrow 30000 we have fronted them the 30000 so that they can access that additional amount. So we said to our, grant, to our daughter churches, we'll split that with you. So it becomes easier for you to come up with the funds. We're, we're going to incentivize you to plant your first church by providing some upfront funds when you're ready to multiply. So you don't have to raise that all on your own. And so we sow into it that way. So 
going into it with a mindset to prepare future church planters and with a shared resource mindset where we're going to adopt a, a granddaughter church and treat it as if it was our own, even though we're not going to take primarily responsibility for it. I think that has helped to foster the mindset of, of reproduction. What would you say is your process for um, training church planners or multipliers as they go out? Yeah, so we, we um, when, when you have a person that's in your house and you're sending them from within you, there's one, I guess, process, which they p- really pick up the DNA. So if you're sending a youth pastor or an assistant pastor, someone who's grown up in your midst, uh, we then treat them like a staff member. We bring them in on meetings they would normally be in, and we try to just share with them everything that is a part of who we are. Uh, we haven't always done it that way because we have planted. So let's say we are in Pittsburgh, we plant in Boston. Sometimes it's not practical for a guy to move his family to Pittsburgh for a year so that then he'll again move his family to Boston. So we've had to sometimes skip the embedded step. And we do a lot of work on the phone, a lot of phone coaching, um, some, some cluster coaching with, we have like a pipeline of new churches that are getting ready to be planted and they're on a conference call every other week. So they're in a journey together with sort of a class of new planters and they are studying the process while they're applying it. And then we just access a lot of the good training that's out there. We don't try to duplicate the launch training that somebody could get at the the ARC or uh, I'm on the lead team for my denomination's church planning network, which is called CMN or Church Multiplication Network. They have a great, great uh, training process. So we don't try to duplicate that. We send our planters to that. They get assessed there. They get trained there. And then what we're doing is we're helping them to interpret what they have heard in their launch training. We help to interpret that in these coaching calls. Because a lot of times you hear how it's supposed to work and then it doesn't work that way. And so then I become sort of half spiritual dad, half, half strategic coach to be in their life to say, it's going to be, it's going to work, you know, stay at it. God's called you. Don't forget that, you know. So I'm doing a lot of encouraging and uh, coaching and problem solving on the phone. So if if they're a part of a larger family like Stadia or the Ark or CMN or whatever, um, we become more like their immediate family. Like we're in the trenches with you. We're going to walk this out with you, and and so we just kind of walk with them in the journey until they get open, and then after they're open, then we become eventually sisters, right? Instead of a daughter to us, then we operate like sister churches and we work together on the next the next wave of planters that are coming up. That's so good. And I think that a lot of people don't realize it. Even if you're part of a larger network, you might get coaching, you know, it might be quarterly or something like that, or um, sometimes even that doesn't happen. Um, but but you really don't get the mentoring. Like, I think as a, as a church, as the leader of a multiplying church, your role is unique to mentor um, because they're not really going to get that from some of the bigger umbrella organizations. So I like that you've brought that out, and I think you've embodied that well with the people that you've sent. And I think that's part of the success. Um, a lot of times people say, you know, we didn't send so well. Um, the first churches that I multiplied out, I, I, I look back and I, I sometimes have to apologize to the people that went. Like, I didn't send you well. Um, but that mentorship, I think, uh, really is part of the survivability 
of planners on the ground. So obviously, I, I would imagine with multiplying 31 times, there's probably some stories of blood, sweat, and tears. There's probably a few churches that didn't quite get off the ground the, the, the way that you thought. Um, what have been some of the biggest challenges to multiplication or roadblocks for you over the years, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, so there's pain in every journey, right? So um, first, the first pain that every, every multiplying pastor faces is loss. So the first time we multiplied out, I remember feeling all this excitement about the idea that we were planting this church. And then I had Pat get up and preach his final Sunday. And after he was, he was done, he did an awesome job. And I was thinking, oh man, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of people going to leave me. And I was dealing with a lot of internal struggles over it. And then I got up and did what I had planned to do, which basically was this. I was like, God, you know, um, if God has prompted you, to uh, go with Pat to plant this church, you know, we're going to pray for his launch team. You just leave your seat with, with, uh, with the, the launch team members and come up to the front. And uh, I remember that when the people started coming forward, feeling a tremendous sense of anger, <laughs> I was, I was calling them forward. And then when people started coming forward, I was like, I can't believe this. And in fact, there was a couple of guys I had told Pat, you can recruit freely from our congregation, but there's two leaders I just don't want you to touch. And he said, hey, man, no problem. And he did an amazing job of keeping me informed. Well, when I called for those who felt prompted to come forward, one of those guys I, I had said was off limits came forward because God prompted him to come forward. And I remember watching him come forward and thinking, I can't believe this. Like, right. God, this is just unfair. And, um, I, you know, sometimes you're on the stage and you're going to be having three conversations with yourself at the same time. And That's I was so thinking good. about what I was saying, and I was thinking about all those emotions. And then I felt God speak to me and say, look, if you're not going to give me your best, why, why, are, you, why are you doing this? Mm. You know. And so I blessed him, and it turned out that the guy who came forward was really good with money. He became the treasurer of the first church that we planted. Oh, wow. And when, when we planted our second church, he left church plant number one and went with the second church. And wow. Sold books for he did it wow. the third time. Oh my gosh! So, so what this I, guy's a rock star. Learned, no wonder you didn't want to lose him. <laughs> yeah, what I learned is that God knows what He's doing, you know, and that <laughs> that it's it truly is His church. It's not mine, right? But boy, you got to die to some stuff when you multiply. You, you know, you really Jeff. Do. I know. If you don't die. I know people are out there going, "Hey." I need that dude's number, or does he have a sister, right? <laughs> they want this dude to come with them. So as as you look at that guy, that's amazing because you see that, that Paul sent out teams of rock stars, and, and they, yeah. they eventually split off, which, like, this guy did. Like, this is incredible because um, this guy modeled what you taught him, which is, hey, I'm going to send my best, but this guy didn't get comfortable. He continued to want to go pioneer, which to me is... Yeah. Flesh and blood does not reveal these things. So when you say that God prompted him, I love that. And at the same time, I think it's important for leaders to know that it is okay to say, like for the other guy who didn't go forward that you had your eye on, it's also okay for a multiplier to say, you know what, I, I because, you know, I, I don't want him to go, you know, because uh, he's going to plan out or I have different plans for him. And, and I've seen this before because sometimes a church planner who's going out will want to uh, take all of the of the heavy hitters that you've discipled and poured into 
And to them, they're thinking, oh, yeah, of course I'd want these guys are rock stars. Meanwhile, you're thinking not just one church plant. And sometimes when I've had to broker uh, this transaction between a sender and a goer, I've had to explain like, hey, your sender, your sending pastor, he's not just being carnal. This is actually, uh, there's a bigger plan. You're a piece of a bigger plan. You're not all the plan. And I think sometimes yeah. the the multiplier needs that freedom to say, hey, I'm not just holding back uh, the, the good ones. I'm not keeping them. I'm going to send them out later, but they're not ready. Or, you know, maybe, maybe the Lord's speaking to you a different way. But I love that freedom and faith that you exhibited in just you know, uh, be listening to the prompting of the spirit. And it turned out, it, it turned out to be a very good thing. Who'd have thunk that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that, the guy's back with me now after all these years. So that's a, that's a good ending to the story. But I do think you're right in saying that you got to talk through with whoever it is that you're partnering with your parent church or you as a, a planter, you got to talk through all the details. I mean, good. the more you define the expectations up front, about recruitment, about funding, about the timing of release, about oversight, oh, just, just a lot of conversations. And there's always assumptions that are made. And I guess this is another one of the challenges. I have, has, have at times assumed that, hey, because of everything we're doing for you, I'm certain that you're going to be grateful for this. And you will bring me in the loop and make me part of celebrations. And when you tell your story, we'll be included in that. And you'll want to give back to the network or to plant the next church. And that hasn't always happened. In fact, there have been times whenever guys that I poured into, sometimes the people I poured into the most have been very disrespectful, ungrateful, and, and, and really caused insults that stick and you got to process through those things. Mm. I think sometimes planters too, they think, man, don't you understand how hard it is out here? You know, I know you blessed me and you gave this to me, but I'm killing myself here and I'm risking everything. And my family's on mm. the line and you know, you got this big church over there and you have everything you need. How can you be so stingy? Right. There is, there's feelings that are on both sides that are very raw and sensitive. Mm. And I think both the planter and the multiplier uh, have to recognize that's just a part of this journey. You can't ever give it away without risking the possibility that, that the person you're giving it to could stab you in the back. Wow. And if you allow for that risk to keep you from multiplying, if you allow fear or the potential pain or the past hurts to keep you from multiplying, then you'll always be stuck and you won't be free inside or in your ministry. So there will be there will be hurt, no doubt. Somebody's going to hurt you. If you're going to multiply a lot, somebody's going to hurt you. It's going to be a part of the journey. But better to please God and operate in faith than to be stuck in fear and holding on to the pain. Mm. And I speak that out of, you know, some difficult experiences. But I have learned that the grace is always in the next step. It's never in holding on to the past. It's always in the next step. Mm, that's so good, man. That's so good. And I'm sure that's uh, in, in, in some ways prophetic for someone listening today who needed to hear that. So I want to thank you for sharing that. What are your goals uh, going forward in the next, say, five to, to 10 years? Yeah. So um, I'm now at my church 29 years. I'm beginning the stages of looking at the future. Um, 
10 to 15 years from now, I don't think I'll be the pastor at Allison Park Church anymore. So I'm in the starting of my succession planning dreams. A lion in winter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so and so now I'm thinking about what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I have a desire to, over the next 20 years, to inspire practically and personally a hundred churches to become multipliers, or excuse me, 500 churches to become multipliers. So my 20-year goal is to be involved in somehow the story of churches that want to multiply to, to step into that. So we've, we've probably helped, I think, 23 right now churches become multiplying churches. And my goal is to just have a, a bunch of them every year that move into that parenting phase. Well, Jeff, that's really cool, man. I, I appreciate all that. Who has influenced you? I mean, have there been leaders that inspired you to multiply? Was Did you read a book? Was there some conference or course? or so? Was there any kind of resource or person that, that God really used to give you this vision or to shape you into the why of how of multiplication? Yeah, so my dad my dad planted a church when I was six months old. Um, that that was always something of the storyline of my family, and I always appreciated those that had poured into him and into the church in the early stages. But when I married my wife, um, my, her dad was a pastor in Latin America, at the time Panama, then moved to Nicaragua. And he was big into reproduction. He had planted several churches in Panama when he moved to Nicaragua. They they built this great church in the center of Managua and then planted nine churches out of it. And I watched that happen in the 90s. And he would wow. just speak to me. He would be like, you got to dream bigger. Uh, the world's bigger than your local church. The world's bigger than your denomination. The world's bigger than the friends that you've grown up with. You got to get get out there and dream a bigger dream. And he started to speak into my life and I think activated in me what I would say is uh, that apostolic impulse that was that was in me that needed to be brought to the surface. And then over time, as I started to multiply, I discovered, because I thought I was the only one, like <laughs> I, was, I was doing this in Pittsburgh and I was planting churches and I, I was like, man, I don't know anyone else that's doing this. And then, and then as I started to, to do it and people started to comment on what I was doing, they would say, you need to meet this guy over here. Mm. And so I just got introduced to the larger multiplication world. And honestly, from 1996 to now 2020, so many movements came into being. I mean, mm. church planning became a wave, exponential, and the arc, and multi-site. I, I remember going to the very first multi-site conference, I think, with David Ferguson and Greg Surratt and Larry Osborne hosted it out in Southern California in the early 2000s. And so I just devoured anything I could find on, on what it is to multiply, because I was doing it out of some really good family roots, I guess you'd say. But then I just happened to, to get in this conversation right in the middle of this, this wave of momentum. And now we live in a, an era where there is just so many resources out there. Mm. I mean, for you to be a, a desiring to be a multiplier or to be a planter and not take advantage of all of the stuff, stuff like what we're doing today, podcasts like this, which when I started, to my knowledge, there was nothing like this out there. Right. I mean, what, what a goldmine there is of experience and proven skill that's that's available to people well it sounds like both your dad and your father-in-law were gold mines and brother you have been yes. a gold mine to us today um you have shared things that that i know just came straight out of your heart that were unplanned 
But as I said earlier, and you'll you'll appreciate this as an AOG guy, um, that this is prophetic. And brother, I just can't thank you enough for what you've shared and even just pointing out in what influenced you the most, which has been a theme of this podcast, which is someone modeled this change for you. And you have in turn modeled it for others who are modeling it for others. And I just, that is so New Testament. It's so Paul saying train able men who are also able to train others that, uh, brother, I, I, I just, I think you're a living, breathing example of multiplication. You probably can't help yourself anymore. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I'm also in the stage of life where I have grandkids and I got to tell you the grandkid stage, whether it's in the spiritual or in the natural is the best. Mm. There's nothing like visiting a granddaughter church and stepping in and people say, Oh, I've heard about you. Yes. You're that guy that planted my pastor's church. Oh man, that is. And then to watch them stand on the stage and succeed and do the stuff that they're doing is just, it is such a joy. I'm, I really am jealous for, for pastors. Don't just live your life with a single dimensional vision. See, see the ripple effect of reproduction because there is such joy in generations downline. If you'll just invest in that. Mm, That's so good. And really, I mean, there will be others that I will surely interview uh, in this series and in years to come who, when I ask that last question, will say, Jeff Leak. Yeah, Jeff Leak was he was the guy that was my Paul. He was the Paul to my Timothy. He was my mentor. He inspired me. And you will be the answer to that question. And in the spirit of Exponential's Hero Maker theme that we had a few years ago, I want to encourage uh, all of you to get that book, to read it, and see how the Holy Spirit just puts everything on an amp of 1 to 10 up to an 11. And uh, just really blast out. This is so intrinsic to discipleship and what Jesus did that uh, it, it will literally blow your mind. And as you mentioned, Jeff, that satisfaction. Jeff, if people want to get in touch with you uh, and, and reach out to you in some way and maybe even pick your brain or ask you questions, where can they get in touch with Jeff Leak? So I have a personal site, uh, Jeff Leak, uh, L-E-A-K-E, jeffleakonline.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at, at jeffleak11. Either one of those, you know, direct message me there or uh, find me on that website. That'd be fine. All right. Well, hey, my guest today has been Jeff Leak, pastor of Allison Park Church. And Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure. I want to thank you for coming on today. And I want to thank my listeners today for joining us for the Exponential Reproducing Churches podcast. And we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for joining Peyton Jones on the Reproducing Churches podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. Let's increase the number of churches that multiply from 7 to 10%. For more information or resources, such as courses, audios, videos, ebooks, or discounts for the next exponential conference in your area, visit reproducingchurches.org.